flow. Thank you, Izzy, for your marvelous uh, contribution. That's why you pay me the big bucks. Oh, no, wait, you don't. Uh, anyway, uh, where's this? Oh, salsa with Tyrone. What? I know, people who live in terraced houses shouldn't do salsa. What, old Sally? No, I'm just saying, there's not enough room, is there? Where are going to practice? Uh, at salsa class. Okay, thank you, enough of the salsa shaming. So, great news, Owen and Angelique are visiting tomorrow to oversee the first Nipper Snapper order. The talk of the street. 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 Welcome to episode 251 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast that thinks there is now good cause to dedicate an entire episode to Alex ripping the piss out of every customer who walks into the cafe and asks for anything other than a coffee. I'm Gavin. And I really wish Sofa Cinema Club had covered Gone Girl before we had a Gone Girl question at Trivia, and not after. Oh. That's a very long opening. Also, Jack P. Shepard said Gillian... Oh, Flynn instead of just, Gillian Flynn. That just makes my skin crawl. Her name is Gillian. And I know you like, can't tell. You can't tell by looking at it though. But if you, I don't, if know, you I don't look do it up. Do some research. Right? <laughs> Which just makes me think that the part of Jack P. Shepard on Sofa Cinema Club this week was played by one Mr. Edward Norton. Or Hack P. Shepard. <laughs> yeah, that works. I can't remember... Nort- the name of Norton's character on uh, Glass Onion. Because remember, he says Jillian Flynn. That was one of the clues that he was an idiot. Because remember, he had Jillian Flynn write the murder mystery. Jillian mm-hmm. Flynn. Right. Mm-hmm. But he said Jillian Flynn. That's- this is all getting very confusing. <laughs> How are you? Ah, tired. Oh, really? It's been a long week. Has it? Yeah. And it keeps getting longer. It went by fast. This was a fast week. It feels like we were just here. It does. It does. And then here we are again. And not recording another podcast. It feels like we were just here recording this podcast. Oh, so confusing. (laughs) So you've had a busy week? Yeah. Yeah. And and yet again, I have to work on a Saturday. Oh, hold on. Auction talk. <laughs> I thought you were kidding. Nope. <laughs> Let's just listen to that again because it's pretty good. <laughs> That's your little auction talk music. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, we had our big general auction and last night. And so pickup is tomorrow. So I'll be working pickup. I've already, I've already brought some things home that I myself bought, including pants for Stelly's band. Yeah, this is. I'm beginning to worry that we're the only parents who give a fuck about this <laughs> talent show. I don't know. Sarah and Vince probably care. It's just that most of the instruments are donated by us. Right. Live at our house. I think all of the amplifiers are donated by us. Now we're dressing them. Yeah. 
Oh, I, I, because I I'm can't, the cool vintage mom. I can't close my eyes anymore without hearing cherry bomb. <laughs> so it could be worse. Oh, they're very good at it. There are a million other songs they could be playing that are much worse. Oh, absolutely. They could be playing Ed Sheeran songs in well, the basement. I'm trying to think of an Ed Sheeran song that they would play. I don't think they would. They're not really those kids. They're, what, what they've got, though, is Stelly's pretty decent on the guitar now and pretty uh-huh. decent at doing the solo. And the girl that they've got singing it is Very incredibly good. good. And the drummer's pretty good, too, from what I can hear in the basement. I think he, he tries to elaborate a bit too much. Yeah. Sometimes gets caught off beat. But you know what? He's a middle schooler. So right. And he's fine. like the only boy in the band, too, isn't he? No, no, wait, no. no, no. There's Parker and Kylan. Mm-hmm. Kylan, our neighbor, who the dog still barks at. And I'm like, Dobby, Kylan's been here longer than you. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. So, we've had Cherry Bomb pumping out of the basement for like two and a half hours as, the week. as played by civil disobedience yes that's we're quite, the that's cool parents quite exciting stuff we're the cool parents mm-hmm. i like being the cool parents i don't know if and that, saying that we're the cool parents makes us the cool parents <laughs> and not in the amy polar in mean girls kind of cool parents we're not encouraging them to take drugs well not anymore and not since i stopped drinking <laughs> And I don't wear like those velour tracksuits. Not anymore. Not since you stopped drinking. <laughs> so it's all good. How's your week been? I've sold another two books this week. Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> it's, it's so weird. <laughs> I was walking in. Did you find them in the closet? I did. Okay, good. So I was walking into the office a couple of weeks ago and I bumped into somebody that I haven't seen for a while. Uh-huh. Who's the corporate philanthropy woman who I've dealt with when we're donating our money that we raise occasionally. I donate it through my work and they double it and all that sort of stuff. So I was speaking to her. Yeah, who is a very lovely person. Oh, she's lovely. And I she used said, to deal with her all the time for Girl Scout Cookie yeah. And she said, I, did I hear that you wrote a book? And I had to think, did I write a book? That sounds like something I would do. Because it was like so long ago. So right. she wanted a copy, so I gave her a copy. Mm-hmm. She apparently has told a couple of other people the weird thing is that all the people who are asking me for copies of my book are really high up. They're uh-huh. all like AVPs and, and above right. who are reading my Scottish Book of the Dead that is brimming with industrial strength language. But yes. you know what? You're Scottish. Yeah. I think they choose to find it charming. So I haven't sold any books in the longest time. I've given a couple away. Right. I've now sold... Is that three or four? Uh-huh. They're now on sale on Amazon for 75 bucks. What? Because they're out of views. print. Yeah, because it's out of print. And right. I don't get any of that. So no. if you buy it off Amazon, you're giving Jeff Bezos 75 bucks and, and I get nothing. So anyway, that was my week. That, that, that was a great week. It was all right. Yeah. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that literary Corey news. I actually had something that happened this week. That oh. doesn't happen all the time. <laughs> no. I thought you were going to say bombing, Corey News. Bombing. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Sarah Khan recently signed on for another year Woo-hoo. on Corey. Here's hoping that's enough time to get Alia and Ryan back together. <laughs> Damn it. Put them back together. I don't think that's going to happen. I know. 
I know. That that doesn't mean that I can't still wish for it. I'm just wondering how many other death-defying moments that they can get Alia's character into in another 12 months. Oh, I'm sure. Because they managed to cram stabbing and blowing up within right. like a couple of weeks of each other. So, right. so that's 52 other dices with death that she's possibly <sighs> going to have. Let's, let's just hope she doesn't drive behind any trucks with big, massive timber logs. A, a, a seamless reference to Final Destination. <laughs> yes. I, I can't I can't drive behind one of those things anymore. No, it, it freaks me the terrifies me. Yep. Our thoughts are with Bhavna Limbachia, our former not flat Rana, who has been rushed to hospital this week due to an injury to her hand. So here's hoping that her hand is better soon. Quiet week in Corey News. Just asking for a friend. I thought you would enjoy the the reference to a not-flat Rana. Oh, well. Mm. Rosie might not be back on the street, but Helen Flanagan is back in the jungle for I'm a Celeb All-Stars, which has allowed some viewers to realize she's a vegetarian, something she's not exactly kept secret after suffering from hypermesis during all three of her pregnancies. Andy Wayman's in it as well. Oh, and he's actually still in and the he's show. He's actually still in the but show. But so. he doesn't suffer from hypermyesis. So, you know, there weren't lots of people complaining online this week that he didn't eat the meat. No, but he did meet up with Sean Ryder from the Happy Mondays, who it turns out they went to the same primary and secondary school and, oh. lived, and lived just round the corner from each other. That's delightful when that happens. Yeah, that should have been calling news. Well, that wasn't mentioned in the news. And I don't watch I'm a Celeb. Well, what did you think I read it? I don't know. I thought you watched it. Oh, no, I don't watch that. <laughs> I just watch Corey and that's it. Corey and Taskmaster, that's all I watch. And that's Corey News. And that's Corey News, which thankfully brings us on to World Podcast for Coffee. Thanks to Daisy for her coffees this week. <gasps> the Daisy? Not the Daisy. A Daisy, I think. A Daisy. Not the Daisy. I'm sure she's the Daisy to some people. <laughs> In fact, she's the Daisy for us. Okay. I've just decided. All right. She writes, you two are wicked. I hope in a good way. Well, of course. Thanks for making my week better. She says, apologies for the email rant. Did she send an email rant? Well, this is the thing. I've searched through all my email inboxes and every other way that you can possibly contact us and I can't find any rant so that's weird so I'm tempted to say send it in again <laughs> and apologies to whoever got that email read I know because it wasn't us some confused person do you think it was conversation street or maybe it was the balk of the street at <laughs> gmail.com that got it I don't know I, I don't think we got it or if we did, it went to our trash. To, it went to the junk. Spam but mail. I looked there as well. Anyway, thank anyway, you, thank, thank you, Daisy, for your kind donation. I will look forward to having my coffee tomorrow morning. In the meantime, I'm on the Canada Dry Zero Sugar again, and I'm on the cranberry juice. The Talk of Street is and always will be free on your podcast provider and on the YouTube's. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it. If you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffees by going to ko-fi.com, that's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street, and we'll be very appreciative 
Helen, won't we? Yes. Just like we are for Daisy. Yes, the Daisy. The Daisy. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Oh, welcome to last year tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about bum pipes. Bum pipes? Bum pipes. Oh, bum pipes. I don't remember anyone having colon cancer. That's right. This was Aggie starting to work on the gastroenterology ward oh, at yes. the hospital. Isn't that basically the bum pipes? Asked Michael. Classy. I was Gavin and you were down a cat. Was this when Speedy Cat died? Well, let's hope so. We haven't lost any since. That was a, a year ago. This My week, God. As poor wee boots strolled over the Rainbow Bridge. You'd been up to put a kid on the bus to DC at 3.30am, so... Yes, I did not sleep. Hadn't been a great day for you. No, I did not sleep. I was like, I have to be up at 3am, I'm just not going to go to sleep until after I put her on a bus. Yeah. When we were doing the podcast, I checked to find my friends because Stelly's my friend. And she was at the Jefferson Memorial where I hoped she was being inappropriate. <laughs> Eileen remains suspicious of the undertaker, so she goes to his house to find evidence of a cat or another woman. Finds neither. Tim continues. She saw a pussy, is what we're saying. Tim continues to ignore Sally's concerns about his lack of bedroom enthusiasm. <laughs> Jacob starts his new job at the factory, but thanks to an outburst from Simon, he finds it difficult to win over his new workmates. Toya is disappointed to learn that Leanne thinks her relationship with Inran is for the convenience of Alfie's custody. Where is Toya? We haven't seen Toya in ages. Georgia Taylor, where are you? Well, I think she and Spider got a bit of a break after the whole Max debacle. Aggie is transferred to a new department at the hospital and is, and is nervous about meeting her new boss, which I think is Mr. Thorne, isn't it? Yes, And he's yes. a reputation for being a stickler for the rules. He's got a reputation for something. Mm-hmm. Alia and Yasmin build bridges as they make plans for a charitable event for Eid. Following a shocking incident at school, Daniel threatens to come clean to Amy about Max spiking her drink. Kirk is eating for two. Maisie covers her ears. Gail blames the parents. Our moment of the week was Jacob saving Max from bleeding out. And our boring moment of the week was the undertaker's secret being his snoring. And that was Coronation Street <laughs> and the talk of the street. This time last year. Oh, man. You know, it, it sucks to think that this time last year, Amy was also assaulted. Yeah. Give that girl a rest, please. Absolutely. And... Let's just listen to the auction talk music just one more time. <laughs> that really is quite good. <laughs> Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. I was about to ask you for Corey News again. <laughs> no, but I was like, wait a second, didn't we do this already? <laughs> I think we've had quite enough of that. Our first storyline this evening is Aaron can't handle the truth. On Monday, at number one, Amy is getting ready for Nina's birthday party, much to the pleasure of a becapped Steve and Tracy. Yeah, Steve's wearing a cap today for some reason. I know. And we never find out why. Why are people so weird about this? It's like the whole Helen Flanagan being a vegetarian. It's like, do, do people not have... People need to go outside and touch grass, okay? A character can wear a hat every once in a while. Indoors? 
when that character has never worn a cap indoors before? I think he has. He's been on the show for decades now. I think he has. He was in like three scenes on Monday and he was wearing a cap in all of them. And people were suggesting that maybe he was getting a hair transplant, but he's poo-pooed those rumours. Mm. Yeah, and he still has a bald spot in the back. Right, I'm like, if he's getting a hair transplant, he's like about 20 years a bit late in that regard. Maybe his hair hasn't really changed very much since Maybe he had a bad haircut. 2000s. See, and I think it's more likely to be that. Hmm. But we see him later on in the weekend, he doesn't have the cap, but maybe the scenes are filmed out of order. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, Asha arrives and calls Amy Ames... Which is how we know it's something serious. Meanwhile, Nina is having a horrendous 21st high tea at the bistro with Roy, Evelyn and Carla. And we never find out what Roy got her for her birthday. That made me so mad. Roy gives her a package. It looks like something in a frame. She holds it. She is delighted. And then we cut to a new scene. And we never find out what was in there. We don't know. What Evelyn's card said that Evelyn got her, and if there was like any money in it, because Evelyn's an old lady, she probably put like a five pound note in there or something. Mm-hmm. That's what old ladies do. And that's I'm so my bad. experience, certainly. So bad. The devs, the party organization committee, are organizing as a committee when Nina arrives and everyone calls her Nins for some reason. So they have to scurry. Nina has misplaced her phone, but wonders if anyone fancies getting together for drinks. Amy claims to have an eyebrow appointment to rethink them, and Addie and Summer are both babysitting the baby. The oh same well, baby. Too bad, and she heads back to the bistro. Then Asha gets a call from Patches, which is a nightclub, I think, to let her know that the venue has been double booked or something, so the party no. is fucked. It wasn't double booked. She booked the wrong Patches. She booked a Patches in Nottingham. Oh. Oh. And nobody wants to drive to Nottingham. How lo- how far is Nottingham from Manchester? Uh, it's, I think it's kind of east of Birmingham. So maybe, I don't know, I might say a couple hours, maybe. A couple hours? couple let's, hours. Let's stop the podcast and find <laughs> out. That was just such a ridiculous thing. Oh, I'm such an idiot. I went to the website of the wrong patches and booked a room in the wrong patches. And this patches and our patches doesn't have any open rooms tonight. See, the thing is, for your 21st, I think you'd want to go somewhere a little bit out of the ordinary. Right. Who doesn't want to drive? And, like... It's two hours. Two hours. You were right. Good job. 97 miles. That's nothing. I have driven further than that for a party before. I'm sure you have as well. We drove to Canada to watch a movie. That's true. We drove to Indiana to have lunch once. Yeah. These people aren't in the United States, so they're in, they're in England. Right, yes. So anyway, they decamp to Nina's roles to think of a plan B when Aaron comes in and upon learning of their predicament, he offers up use of the builder's yard flat because he's still got a key and he knows that Ed won't be... He's not showing it off to anybody else and... All that malarkey. Right. After insist after chucking them out. Mm-hmm. So he gives them the keys and says that he won't even be there, which makes Addy feel uncomfortable because if he's given us the keys, should we invite him to the party? Amy says that she doesn't care, so Addy invites him. Nobody asks Summer. Nobody says, <laughs> Summer, are you okay with this? Wait. At the flat, Summer calls Amy Ames again and is wearing quite a bit of makeup for Summer. Yes, because they're going to a party. They're mm-hmm. both wearing a lot of makeup. She checks to make sure Amy's okay with this, and Amy pretends that she is. 
Later, the party's in semi-full swing as Addy and Aaron arrive. Aaron tries to talk to Amy. He says that he doesn't bite. She says no. She knows what he does do, though. Mm -hmm. He wants to put the past behind him. But before Amy can respond, Nina arrives. Happy birthday, Nina! Happy birthday! And now the party's in full swing. And Aaron is already kind of gassed and keen to do shots with party goers with no lines. Summer checks on Amy again and then heads off for a shite. Aaron tries to speak to Amy. She's not taking any of this and loudly says that she knows what he is and in the cold dead of night, he knows what he is too. She goes to walk away. He grabs her arm, so she freaks out and starts booting him in the newts until Summer drags her away. Woohoo! <sighs> Take a hint, Aaron, seriously. Right, seriously. You know this girl doesn't want anything to do with you. Just So, so you're going to lay your hands on her? Stay away from her. Right. So yeah, so they go to the community garden with Addy and Amy announces loudly that Aaron raped her after all, that she was just trying to block the whole thing out, but mm -hmm. she can't do it anymore. The police don't believe her, so why should anyone else? But Summer and Addy say that they do believe her. And that's nice. Yeah. Back at the party, everyone is leaving. And it seemed like no one at the party looked like anyone that would be friends with Nina. No. Remember when she <laughs> had all of those people. goth friends that she used to go to goth concerts and stuff with? What happened to all of them? Remember because Seb was trying to... Seb dressed fit like a in. goth mm. just to fit in with her friends? Does yeah. she just not have those friends anymore? Do they not approve of Asha? Is is this the problem? I think she's just kind of cut all her old friends out of her life, it seems. That's really sad. Addy comes in and throws a bag at Aaron and orders him to start bagging up. Nina and Asha head into town to get Muller on their own and Addy tells Aaron that he needs locking up. So as Addy packs, Aaron denies it all. He says he didn't take advantage of Amy and he'd never accuse Addy of such. Well, that's because Addy didn't assault anybody. He says Amy... Up here, up, no, never mind. I'm not going to say. He says uh, Amy was just feeling guilty for shagging her best friend's bloke. She didn't report him for three weeks and she still hasn't blocked his number on her phone. Addy sticks to his guns about Amy being too drunk to give consent and Aaron claims that he knows all about handling drunks. And then Yikes. Addy picks up on that and suggests, well, maybe it's drunk people who make you angry. So that was an excellent point. Yes. But Aaron continues to deny and deflect, and he's never changed his story while Amy has flip-flopped, he says. Addy looks like he's starting to waver, while Aaron gets wired into the leftover beer. And he finds some in the washing machine. Yeah, sure, because it's a party. Right. So you hide stuff, I guess, right? Sure. Because I was... And we've maybe talked about this before, just the fact that Aaron Aaron is clearly drinking way too much mm -hmm. and has drank yes. way too much. Whenever he gets drunk, he gets drunk. Yeah, so he doesn't seem to have a very healthy relationship with alcohol either. But, Which, I, but I guess he's young, but it still seems very strange that he's so laissez-faire about it when his dad is such a raging alcoholic. Well, it is genetic, so... It would make sense. I mean, I do know, I, it kind of feels like children of alcoholics can go one of two ways. They can either yes. go full sober or full right into it because nothing matters mm -hmm. sort of thing. And he kind of feels like the whole sort of nothing matters type of person. Right. Back at summer, she's still 100% behind Amy as they talk about Aaron being, uh, still being on the street. And they need to get rid of him, but Amy's like, well, how do we possibly do that? 
Summer wants to kill and doesn't <laughs> understand why Abby is falling for this shite. But Amy just wants to go to bed and hide. And Amy makes the astute observation that for Abby, Aaron is a sub substitute. Yep. Oh, these kids are so smart. Later, Aaron is very drunk and he and Addy are talking about a man with a poodle tattoo. And so Addy has this permanent marker and mm-hmm. he, he like draws a number or something on Aaron and they, they, mm-hmm. they both find it hilarious. Addy tells him that people move on and that he should drink more. So Aaron does, finding some of the good stuff in the washing machine. At home, Steve and Tracy get in and they're surprised to see Amy back already. But they're thrilled her jammies. that Amy has had taken such a big step. Steve still has his cap on. Yes. Eventually, Aaron passes out, and when he does, Addy grabs the permanent marker again, and this time he writes across Aaron's forehead, and he writes, guilty. I, and my question is, why didn't he write rapist? rapist? That, two Ps, you and I, because that's exactly, I was like, ah, guilty. Why did he write guilty instead of rapist? Rapist is specifics but it's a much much heavier word right right and he should have shaved his bangs while he was at it so that he couldn't cover up right right yeah it seems like i felt like they they missed a trick yeah with me too um i agree that it's a it's a hugely more weighted word Mm -hmm. and it has a bit of shock value to it yeah i think for some people watching that maybe that's why they didn't do it Right. Maybe it's a bit triggering for some people. I don't mm. know. But I feel like that's probably what Addy would have written. Yeah. But either way, he's made his mark on Aaron's forehead, and I was yes. quite pleased about that because Addy seemed to be wavering a little bit. I know, bit, and, and I, I did, was not happy with that. No, and I wasn't happy with Addy last week either. No. But he was very much, very much on side and remains on the right side of this as we progress. So Wednesday, Aaron wakes up with guilty written across his face, but he doesn't notice because he's woke up late. He's clearing up later when Abby calls him to remind him that he's late for work. So he quickly rushes off without a shower and he's passing the florist. He checks his reflection and takes a minute to translate it from the mirror image. He tries to rub it off, but it looks like it's a non-rub-offable ink. Get it right fucking up, you. It's interesting that he looks at his reflection in the florist window. Is it? Yes. Because that's Tracy's oh, of course. business. I was not trying to flowers with... Okay. <laughs> Meanwhile, Steve, without a cap, has a letter for Amy, which turns out to be a warning from her university about not getting her working on time. Rather than say anything to Steve about it, she eyes up a massive bottle of vodka that just so happens to be lying out. Convenient, that. So I wasn't sure. It looked like Arne had covered up the the writing on his forehead... And bangs. I think he'd, he'd run home and cleaned it off by the time he actually gets to work. Later, Summer is wandering along the street when she sees Amy passed out in the community garden with the empty vodka bottle next to her. Meanwhile, Aaron confronts Addy, who is unrepentant, and says that he believes Amy and thinks Aaron is a rapist. Aaron says Amy took her top off and was kissing him. What was he supposed to assume? Like, That's the point, says Addy. You're not meant to assume anything. And right. anyway... This was real quick, cleverly said. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote on your arm mm-hmm. and it was fine, so I just assumed that it was okay to write, write, it, on your write it on your forehead. And Aaron says, how the fuck was I meant to do that? I was passed out drunk. And Addy and the rest of us wait for a minute for Aaron to join the dots. 
and realise what he's just said. But they're interrupted when an ambulance goes by and they see Amy getting loaded in. I wondered if that was a little heavy-handed way of getting a little whelp moment for Aaron when mm-hmm. Addy has said, you know, I just assumed that you'd be all right. Right. With this one. Well, how, how could you have known that when I was too drunk to tell you that I was okay with it? Uh-huh. It just seemed a little... But it was absolutely spot on. Absolutely. And it was just nice how Addy had kind of... Yeah. Bamboozled him a little bit into yeah. realising a, a truth. So where the general note for the last time this week? Steve and Amy arrive at hospital. Amy is going to be fine, but has hopefully learned a lesson and will stay off the booze from now on. Someone explains that this is all because Amy was lying and Aaron did rape her after all. Steve and Tracy are going to see Amy and she's very apologetic and she admits without prompting that she wasn't trying to kill herself. She just wanted to blot everything out because Aaron did rape her. She knows that she needs help and she promises to seek counselling. And later she's sobered up and dressed and looks like she's ready to go home when Aaron just wanders into the room looking to have a word with Amy. doesn't even knock. No. She just wanders into the room. And I'm like, oh my God, what on earth are you doing? How did you know what room she was in? Steve looks like he's going to kill him, but not if Tracy kills him first. Mm. But Amy insists it's fine and asks for a minute alone with Aaron. And reluctantly, Steve and Tracy agree. Something you want to say to me? Asks Amy. He says that he's glad that she's okay, but she was expecting something more from him. He says he's sorry. What, for being a rapist and getting away with it? She asks. He refuses to accept that uh, this is what he is and says that he's only sorry for what happened today. She tells him that he knows what he did, so why doesn't he admit it? But instead, he runs off. You know what you are, she yells at him. Back home, Steve still wants to kill Aaron. Amy doesn't know how he can look at himself in the mirror. But Abby's, she assumes that he's still hung over and he lets her think that. But mm-hmm. when he goes outside to throw the garbage out, it looks like he's no longer believing it. Right. So on Friday, at number one, Amy and Summer are working on her outstanding work. But due to Tracy's incessant nagging, they fuck off to Nina's roles instead. And there, they're working, they're working away on some, what's it, some math or I think it was. Economics. When Aaron comes in and seeing him is enough to trigger Amy and make her want to leave, but in doing so, she ends up spilling her coffee all over her laptop. No! Um, and and Shona is into 90s music all of a sudden. Yeah. Too much, would you say? Is Shona too Appar- much into 90s uh, yeah, music? Yeah, apparently Bernie has just introduced her to 90s music. And I'm like, really, Shona? Yeah, really? seriously, really? So Aaron rushes off. And he goes back to the garage with sandwiches from the co-op. But Abby wanted her lunch from Nina Rolls. Well, get your own fucking sandwich, you lazy cow, snaps Aaron, and he storms off. Back at number one, they've covered the laptop in rice, but it's too late. It's officially fucked. Tracy and Summer tell Amy to just hand the paper in late, but Amy tells them she's already had a warning, which Summer and Tracy didn't know. And they think if Amy tells the uni about her being raped, they'll give her some special dispensation. But then Tracy discovers a new laptop has been left on the doorstep, like a baby from a stork. Because that's how that used to work. Yeah, sure. Amy is Is amazed. Is that what your mum told you? It's a top-of-the-range laptop as well. (laughs) Who would send her something like that? So Amy quickly puts two and two together, Mm. remembers who saw the coffee incident, and she grabs the laptop and the box and storms off to the garage where she throws it back in Aaron's face. After what he did... 
Raping her, destroying her confidence, she can't be bought with high-end electronics. She'd much rather he just told the truth. And all of this is overheard by Abby, who mm. makes a bit of an Abby face. Yes. Back home, Amy tells Tracy about her altercation. Tracy thinks this proves that he knows that he did wrong. Right. But but then and then she makes another plea for Amy to tell the uni about what happened. But at uni, Amy says no one knows and she wants to keep it that way. But Tracy will not let this go and she keeps on insisting. So Amy does as Tracy suggests and is surprised to report that it went wonderfully well. She's got a schedule to get her missing assignments in and probably she's going to get some counselling as well. Nice. And she gives Tracy a hug. And she makes <clears> a point to say that her counsellor says, this happens a lot. Yes. Which is, which, I don't know, it's so depressing. Get but... But true. Mm. Mm. Back at the garage, Abby quizzes Arne about buying Amy a new laptop, saying that Alfie's stroller is fucked as well and wonders if Arne will be splashing the cash in that direction or is he acting out of guilt? He insists not and further insists that he's told Abby everything and was just being kind to a mate. But Abby now looks like she ain't buying it. No. And that's as far as we get with that storyline this week. Yes. I'm glad they're finally addressing this. And I think for the most part, they're handling it pretty well. Yeah, I think so. I think Ab, um, Amy's reactions to things are very spot on. Mm-hmm. And and Aaron's insisting that he has done no wrong still. And yet, while also at the same time feeling a sense of guilt and not quite putting two and two together quite yet because he can't admit to himself what he has done. I think that's rather spot on too. And I think that's, that's a bit what is going on with, you know, people talking about this story on social media and being like, wait a second, if this is this, then what I did yeah. is also this yeah, that's a good and not mention. being able to, and we've talked about this already before, right? you know, and I think it, the whole world is kind of coming to that sort of realization as 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 women are emboldened more and more to speak on these things mm-hmm. and not just women because men get raped too i'm not in aaron's corner whatsoever on this obviously but there's nobody sitting down and talking to him about this to help him understand what he did yeah Addy and i feel of- like he really needs somebody because he needs some help in this right and i think this is where the police kind of dropped the ball, I think, because it feels like they didn't ask the right questions to get to the point where they would say to him, was she passed out mm-hmm. when you, when intercourse happened? Yeah. How did you know it was okay to, right. to continue? What signs did she give you? Right. Because at this point, it sounds like he's saying she took her top off and kissed me. And that's it. And that's it. And that's that to him, that was consent to do whatever he wanted afterwards, whether or not she was awake or not. Yeah, they've got him saying some, uh, some really telling things and asking some really telling questions that say much more about him than, than he seems to realize. He said to Addy, What would you do? Would, would you be asking her every five minutes, minutes if it's okay to still be kissing her and and to stroke her face? And it's like, Yes. Well, Sure, why wouldn't you be doing, right. doing that? Yeah. And, but, you know, his ignorance in this is really kind of damning him. Another thing that he said 
and he's his big soliloquy, or not soliloquy, his big monologue mm-hmm. to to Addy at mm-hmm. the party was how he'd been grilled by the police and mm-hmm. how he had been kept in overnight. What do you think Amy got? Amy got a comfy sofa and a cup of tea. Right. Wow, that that's, that's a, a, a complete load refusal to accept what her experience was like, right. which was... She was Not getting asked great. some very tough questions. And, right, and, and they were going through her text messages right, with and, Jacob. And we were thinking that maybe D.S. Swain even went too far in, right. in the questions that she was asking and the tone in which she was asking right. them. So and so his his assumption that it was only him that was getting the hard time here right. is, is woefully misguided. Yes, absolutely. And he, he actually even says, who's the real victim here? And it's like, oh, come... No. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is unfortunate um, that Addie seems to be the only person who's like, at least trying in some way, in also a misguided youthful way, but is trying in some way to get through to him. Mm-hmm. And Abby is right there. And I, I, I still kind of feel like Abby just doesn't want to ask the tough questions. Like, there's a part of her that just doesn't want to know the truth because of the whole Seb thing. Right, and she seems to be purely on Aaron's, on Aaron's side because right. nobody else is. Right, you know, because you would think that if, of all people, Abby would be the one to say, well, how do you know that it, it was okay? Mm-hmm. Why would, you know, why would she say this? What, what, what exactly, sit down and tell me exactly what happened. Mm-hmm that night and nobody has done that with him yeah. on screen what did you say to her beforehand right and what did you say to her afterwards what was right. your conversation afterwards right because there was no conversation wasn't that any. would be very telling right and if enough people are telling Aaron the same thing right then maybe it's starting to to sink in a little bit but i don't think anybody is really even just in a, in a fake, non-accusatory way, just sitting him down and trying to get him to go through the events of the, the evening and, right. and clarify it. And if he can't remember things about it, then well, how does he know that he didn't? Right. Exactly. And those conversations aren't happening, or they're at least starting to happen. And I get the feeling that maybe in the next week right, we're going to see a little bit of acceptance here. But I don't know where that leaves them, because Amy's surely not going to forgive him for it. No. No, and nor should she. You know, that's not that's not exactly something that's forgivable. No, there's not a, a but, happy outcome. Right, that's not something where you're like, oh, well, I'll see you later. And, you know, years from now, we'll laugh about this. Right. That's not the sort of thing that's going to happen. You know, I mean, it's one thing, Alia, as an adult, is probably at some point... Well, it kind of feels like she already has forgiven Max for, you know, his involvement in the bombing and the stabbing sort of thing. Did she? It kind of felt like it. It felt like she just didn't care anymore. Right. And that's what she said to him, wasn't it? Yeah. But she's, you know, they're, once he gets out of prison, eventually, she as, she as an adult will be able to live on the street with him. Mm-hmm. But Amy and Aaron both being... Still quite young. Yeah, and I, and the, that that group of friends is very close knit. Right. Suddenly. And 
it it's not like she can walk by like the the garage which is just down the street from her house yeah. ever and be okay or abby's right across the street mm-hmm. you know this is it's a it's a difficult thing you know and I, I don't I don't I don't think that there is a way forward where he does not in one way or another leave. Exactly what I was thinking. Like one of them has to leave. And it's not gonna be Amy. I would hope not. And it's a shame because for young teenage to twenty ish year old men on the street, we have Max who's in prison for bombing and stabbing related racism ish terrorism issues. Hmm. We have Seb who is dead. I don't think we can count him still. <laughs> right, because for, for that reason. Because he's dead. Right. We have Simon who may or may not still be on the show. <laughs> who's apparently living with other people and and yet nobody thought to see if he wanted to move into the young crew flat when Amy moved out. Amy, his cousin, let's remember. <laughs> and I guess there's Craig, but Craig's oh, Craig's on. pushing 30 at this point, isn't he? <laughs> the thing that I'm... So, the, the thing that, that I'm, I guess, disappointed in, but this is absolutely true to life, and, it, and I think it goes to show how one mistake and one moment can can just change the rest of your life right? right but up until this point aaron was kind of the sensible one between him and summer with the whole miscarriage sell the baby kind of thing it was right. a little bit of a voice of reason and all that yeah and so that can't that, that we can't go back to that again because no. all that's now been destroyed by this yes so yeah it's a very destructive thing and and again just that that moment of stupidity mm-hmm. and and probably a, a moment of evil and, yeah. and this is what happens oh well let's move on please to our next story which is hello god it's me billy's tax rebate <laughs> on monday over breakfast billy pays off paul's loan but not like that with his massive tax rebate but, but not, not like, like that. that he enjoys looking after paul and knows paul will pay him back but not like that paul can't offer billy much except taking him out for a toasty later but not like that <laughs> This, let's just say this right here and now, this is not what paying off Paul's loan looks like. What this looks like is, you now owe me the money. Right. That's not paying off the loan. Paying off the loan is paying off the loan and that's it. Right. We're done. Yes. But Billy seems to want paid back. Or Paul insists that he paid no, back. No, Paul didn't insist anything. Billy said, I know you're good for it. I know you pay me back when you can. It's true. So, what the fuck, Billy? Here is my cup of Christian kindness and goodness, but if you drink right. any, you need to fill it back up again before you give it back to me. Right. Which is, let's be honest, modern day Christianity. No, last case. <laughs> Meanwhile, Damon has got a call from Niall bringing his attention to the fact that the car Paul gave him is now wanted in a, well, it's not really a murder inquiry, it's an investigation into a death. Yes. Damon checks his Weather Gazette, and sure enough, Rufus has splashed all over the front cover. But not like that. Pig's tits, says Damon. I haven't said pig's tits in a while. Mm. And then the rolls Billy's choking on Paul's cheese toastie. But not like that. <laughs> it's almost like I'm deliberately writing it for this, isn't it? Well, of course when you Damon, are. 
when Damon comes in looking for a word with Paul, claiming it's all bistro stuff. So he and Paul go outside while Billy and Dee Dee wonder what the fuck that was all about. Mm. Damon wants to know why Paul stole a car from a dead guy. And Niles says that he needs to get rid of it pronto. So Paul agrees and next we see him, he's driving through a sketchy part of town in a flash motor. And he's so concerned about doing this that not only is he listening to the radio, but he wants to change the fucking channel. And of course his hand isn't working, so he swerves all over the road and the cops of course are behind him and pull him over. Paul claims it's his car and he's sober and he was swerving to avoid a cat and it looks like he's just about to get away with it when the copper's buddy has the number plate run and uh oh so the next thing Paul knows he's in the cop shop getting grilled by the lovely DS Swain who understandably is having problems with believing that an unemployed labourer has the money to afford a flash Porsche DS Swain should get her own theme music she does I gave her it We don't listen to it on the podcast, Oh, it lasts too long. It's 30 seconds long. I'm so proud of that, by the way. Anyway. And and, and Vicky seems to really appreciate it. That's pinned on her her, uh, newsfeed. Love it. So she accuses him of killing Rufus, and Paul admits to stealing the car, but he didn't know Rufus was dead. (laughs) At this point, Dee Dee comes in, the scourge of D.S. Swain and all other D.S.'s who just so happened to be the duty lawyer at the time. During his private consultation with Dee Dee, he tells her that he admitted to the car theft because they were fitting him up for murder. More than that, though, he just doesn't have the energy to fight, and he has to explain about his pending diagnosis that he needs to get to the hospital for tomorrow. Right. Dee Dee wants to tell Billy, and Paul wants to say that he stayed at hers. No one needs to aggro, but she says if they don't tell the cops about his appointment, they could keep him in overnight, and he'll miss it. And at that, Dia Swain comes back in and she tells him that she hopes the CCTV boys can get their hands on the footage so Paul can get back to his busy calendar. Loves me some DS Swain. Mm-hmm. On Wednesday, Paul's still at the cop shop. How you did, Lynn? says Dee Dee when she comes in and he's desperate to get out for his hospital appointment. The cops are analysing the CCTV and have picked up enough to prove that Paul had nothing to do with Rufus's death. They have him in some part of town and then somebody called... Right, and Rufus spoke, and spoke to, to Rufus. Afterwards. Right. He is, though, going to get charged for talking the car. Later, Billy finds Dee Dee and Paul in Nina's roles. Paul plays up his ruse that he stayed at Dee Dee's last night. And Billy has shifted some religious stuff around. Maybe he's moved Easter that's going to be on a Tuesday next year. So he can <laughs> accompany Paul to his appointment. But Paul tells him it's been cancelled. Dee Dee thinks Paul should be telling people about his charge and his appointment but she decides to go to the appointment with him when he refuses. Mm-hmm. So we're back at the hospital, and <laughs> as they sit in the wait for their appointment, Dee Dee talks about America and how Paul wants to visit one day, and he gets called, and Dee Dee offers to go with and silently, Paul nods his agreement. Mm-hmm. It's quite moving. Yes, they talk about Long Beach mm-hmm. and and building sandcastles. Let's also remember that before this, Dee Dee insisted that the only place she ever went on vacation in America was Dollywood. <laughs> Repeatedly. Yes. I suppose she lived near Long Beach. Yeah, she lives in So LA. that's helpful, which is on the other side of the country from Dollywood, but never mind. I don't think that makes it unbelievable. The fact that she's going to Dollywood is unbelievable. We're not travelling <laughs> far for it. 
In the consultant room, Paul is given the bad news that he does, in fact, have motor neuron disease. Limb onset motor neuron disease, to be exact. Paul just wants to know how long he's got, but the consultant is vague. He says, you know, some people die within three years, some live a bit longer. We'll know more mm. when we know more about how this condition is affecting you specifically. Mm-hmm. But Paul has heard enough. He gets up and he leaves. Dee chases after him as Paul complains about car parking prices and someone who has kind of boxed them in a bit when they get into their car. But then the mask slips and Paul begins to cry Ugh. as Dee comforts him. I don't know what it is about this storyline in particular, but the fact that it's happening to Paul is really, really pushing my emotional buttons. It's just so, so sad. Because the poor guy cannot catch a break. No, and he he says something fairly similar to that later on, but it's just a... I don't know if it was another character I'd be feeling the same way, but because it's happening to Paul, it's just... It's just so heartbreaking. And it just... It feels... It feels like overkill to layer on this whole stupid car thing, doesn't it? Oh, it just, we don't need this. That is enough. Yeah, we absolutely did not need this on top of everything else. It threatens to detract from the seriousness of the motor neuron disease story, the the, the car thing. this This car thing needs to get dealt with and pronto because it's just an an absolutely unwanted distraction right i'm glad that they so quickly realized that he did not kill rufus oh thank god for that right right back at dd's paul tells her about his youth about being abused and how he thought he might have caught a break today but no not him he thinks he might have had a chance with cancer but not with us he always thought he'd be able to make something of himself support a family make people proud Didi offers to go with him while he tells Billy, but he says that he'll go on his own. I think, God, that's... I mean, these are kind of universal desires, aren't they? That you yes. want to you want to have people be proud of you and you want to do good things mm-hmm. and you want to uh, stick up for your family and you want to provide for people and you want you know, to be people's rock and, right. and stuff and it's just not going to happen for them. It's just... It's really sad. You only get one crack at this life, right? Right. And, and sometimes you get a second chance or a third chance. And Paul Paul will never have that. And for someone so young, that's just really, really sad. Yeah. That his life is going to end with Billy. <sighs> yeah, that he didn't deserve that. No. Uh, but when it goes... To Billy's there's drama with Summer and Amy from the storyline we've just talked about. So Paul keeps to him while Billy dances in front of Evil Dead Rises wallpaper, <laughs> oblivious to Paul's and Amy's predicament. He goes back to Dee Dee's and admits that he didn't say anything. Dee Dee urges him to tell before people start noticing and he says that he will in his own time and he swears Dee Dee to secrecy. Until then, on Friday, Shona singing in Nina's roles, which disturbs Paul and Dee Dee, Paul's got his court date and Dee Dee thinks that he could avoid a prison sentence if he grasses up who he nicked the car for. Paul refuses to be a grass and doesn't want to give any mitigating circumstances neither. Billy arrives and Paul pretends to wind up the conversation but Dee Dee wants to talk later. And then Shona screams, Everybody dance now! And then Billy does. (laughs) Shona, 
discovering 90s music. <laughs> 30 years too late. And the above, 90s when she was a child and not listening to music, apparently. <laughs> In the pub, Billy is chatting to Todd about how, well, maybe she lost her appreciation for music when she got shot in the stomach that time. Right, and, and got brain damage from being shot in the stomach. In the pub, Billy's chatting to Todd about how weird Paul has been lately because he keeps on hanging out with Dee Dee. How dare he have a woman friend? Right. He he even at one point jokes that maybe Paul has turned. Is that you on the turn, he says. And it's like... On the turn. On the... It's like, is that a really a, an appropriate joke to make to someone... Billy, especially someone you're in a relationship with, mm. that having women friends means that that you can't keep your hands off women. Hmm. Hmm. So yeah, so Billy thinks Paul's been weird despite Billy dancing yesterday. Todd Twice. tells him to snap out of it, and Paul hasn't seen anyone else, and they can assure him of that. I was quite glad for Todd playing the audience there. Right. Yes. Yes. Todd for once being good in a Billy storyline. Meanwhile, Damon burst into the office in the bistro to have it out with Paul. Not only did he nick a dead man's car, he got caught by the fuzz driving it. Fucking hell. Paul assures Damon he didn't mention any names. Damon certainly hopes not because Niall and his brother don't take any prisoners. Right, it's his big brother. And that's not a euphemism. And he ends his relationship with Paul right there and then. This is it. You and me are done. Dee Dee goes to visit Paul. She respects Paul's silence over the car theft uh, about and who was also involved, but then this leaves them fucked and he's looking at a stretch unless they tell the court and his family about his MND diagnosis. But he refuses point blank to tell anyone until after Gemma's wedding, even if that means spending some of his remaining time behind bars. And this was a bit that was really confusing me, is that if you only have a short time left, right. do you want to spend any of it in prison? No. You do whatever you can to... to stay out of prison. Right. And to spend as much time with your family. Even if that is... Gemma. And Billy. And Later, Summer. <laughs> I did do it. And Gov. Chesney. <laughs> it's a fair cop. Lock me up. Later, Billy and Paul are cuddled on the couch watching Fast and Furious 9, which has <laughs> brought Paul to tears. Billy thinks it's sweet because for a supposed pastor... He is incapable of reading anyone's body language. And, and that's yet, as far as we get with that this week. And yet in another storyline, he makes a point of saying that it's part of his profession mm -hmm. to read people's body language. Just not the people he's having sex with. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, it honestly breaks my heart. Do you think they were watching Shakespeare in Love? No, I really do think they were watching Fast and Furious no, 9. Billy says, you just like watching shoot 'em ups Right. And so Paul says, you can pick it this time. And so, of course, Billy's favorite movie would be Shakespeare in Love, starring Billy. Daniel Brock. <laughs> right. Or The Hole. <laughs> he was in The Hole as well. Of course he was. Not getting his hole, but Kira Knightley was in it as well good film right yeah but it's not romantic and billy likes oh, romantic movies not at all no because it's called the hole i think it's called the hole let's stop the podcast for me to find that out and we're not talking about i'm about to google the hole <laughs> strap in everybody and we're not talking about the movie holes which was a nickelodeon movie based upon a novel by 
Carl Hathen, I believe. It is called The Hole. Thorough mm. Birch is in it as well. Oh, I like Thorough Birch. Yeah, it's a good movie. She should be in more things. What happened to her after American Beauty? She should. And, and The Hole. <laughs> and um, didn't, because they remade the, the craft, didn't they? And didn't like the people who are in the craft, like Thorough Birch, have like many she should be she should be on that show with with other women her age who were movie stars back in the 90s the one with melanie linsky the the yellow jackets with with melanie linsky and um i'm going to start talking about coronation street again now what's his name with the eyes who was a hobbit just too many vague things being thrown at me i think i think that's very specific the guy with the eyes who was a hobbit Oh, just... yeah, that, that rules out all the blind hobbits. No, you know what I mean by the eyes. What's his name? Oh, God. Starts with an E. Eyes? <laughs> no. Let's listen to this wee, wee bit of music again while Helen's thinking about something. You know exactly who I'm talking about. I honestly have no idea. But I'm glad to we've sidetracked from this Frodo, very important not story. Bilbo. Frodo. Elijah Wood? Yes. See, that starts with an E. And he was a hobbit and he's got big eyes. Elijah Wood. You didn't say big eyes, you just said eyes. Well, when I say the eyes, it's, it's his eyes are, are, are a very strong feature on his person. I'm supposed to get that from you saying eyes? Yes. <sighs> Apologies to Elijah Wood for forgetting his name briefly. Anyway. Back to coordination. Sadness, Street. sadness of storyline is 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 huge. Yes, as, as, I don't know if, if Billy's been deliberately just annoying in this, or if this is just no. Billy. This is just Billy. This is just Billy. This is just who he is, and I don't know. I don't know if it's because he's too close to the situation that he can't see it. That he can't see. He can't see the forest for the trees. But the fact that he doesn't seem to be all that concerned about the whole hand thing, when he must, he must have noticed. Oh, they've, well, they've talked about it. He was at the, some of the Gandas doctor's appointments. Right. Yeah. So he and knows about it. And he's still talking about when your hand gets better and you can go back to work. Mm-hmm. And you can pay me back. Cause, right. Because now this is hugely important for Billy that he gets paid back. I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't know. And I don't know. I, I do like the fact that, that Dee Dee and Paul are, are so close because this makes perfect sense with them being right. flatmates and roomies and stuff. And, right, and friends. And the fact that she was helping them out and, and she's such a good empathetic character. And right. What a great addition to the street. We complained about Bailey's in the past. Right. Not only been involved in Bailey storylines right. and that kind of kept them separate from everyone else in the street. And it was really hard to get to get involved in a in right. an Aggie or Ed storyline or a James storyline when it typically involved racism or homophobia. Right. But Dee Dee has just landed and immediately got involved in everybody's stories. Right. And it's this is how this is how you want characters to be introduced. Absolutely. Not just black characters but this is how All you characters, want characters right. to be introduced Dee, Dee ronnie and michael seem to have found their footing with the street at large james left right 
Aggie and Ed still kind of feel like they're they're in a corner mm-hmm. and they can't get out. We occasionally see Aggie involved with hospital storylines, but then only briefly. She just comes home and is tired. Right. She comes home and she's tired all the time and she's still a bad cook, whereas it feels like the whole Dee Dee is a ditz thing has kind of tapered off. Thankfully. We still have Aggie is a bad cook. And at least we had that one storyline with her and Tim kind of having an emotional affair, but now they're not even friends anymore. Seems like it. Uh, and Ed, where the hell is Ed? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? It's like all these all these situations where Ronnie and Michael are getting together and Ronnie is giving Michael life advice. This it's is like, what wait Ed a second. Doing, right? We've we've firmly established, Ronnie, that you're not Michael's dad. Right. Why are you the one giving him all this advice? And yeah. You may remember this being a big thing not so long ago. Right. Yeah. The whole who's the daddy. But no, I think Dee Dee is uh, a really welcome addition into this storyline. And, and she and Paul are just so good together. Mm-hmm. But this just makes the whole Paul thing even sadder. Yeah. Oh, well, let's move on before I get too upset. Uh, okay. To the morning after the proposal before. <laughs> on Monday, Nina rolls. Craig wants to plan the wedding. He's got a spreadsheet. Oh, my God. I... Uh- could they make him more annoying? <laughs> He's picked out a dress for her. The audacity. Because we've seen him wearing clothes, haven't we? We've seen him wearing clothes that he's presumably picked. Right. What the fuck does this? How many sunshines are on this wedding dress? That's what <laughs> I want to know. Apparently there's not an awful lot of fabric in this wedding dress. Oh, you surprise me. <laughs> Faye wants to slow it down. Craig worries that she's already got cold feet. She says that she hasn't, but wishes he didn't talk like a policeman or something. Oh, who cares? Moments later, and Faye bumps into Jackson on the street. He apologises for what he said yesterday, which he blames on being hurt and her making an enormous mistake. She that says enormous mistake being Craig. She says any feeling she had for him has been wiped out. He heads to the pub and gets wired into the hard stuff. So later, when Craig and Faye show up, he's already seven sheets to the wind, and he calls Craig PC Plonker. Good one. He also flirts with Carla. Yeah. And she doesn't mind. (laughs) They get into a bit of an altercation, and Jackson ends up pushing Craig into a table. And it's only Craig's lack of balance, I think, that makes us a big deal. Right, yes. And also the fact that he's a policeman. Craig then seems to frog march... Uh, Jackson to the police station to get him done for assault and during the stroll assaulting a police officer Jackson admits that he embellished the stories that he told yesterday and Faye wasn't planning to run away to that slough after all so with this good slough. news <laughs> so with this good news corrupt PC Tinker decides not to press charges and Jackson is free to go Faye reckons assault is assault but Craig thinks that he's doing this for Miley and not just so he can look like the big man in front of Faye Jackson tells Faye that she's got a good one there. <sighs> sure. Let yeah, him the community they garden. both got a good one there. Faye thanks Jackson for telling Craig a lie that he now thinks is the truth, that there was nothing going on between them. Jackson thinks Tim should collect Miley from now on and he'll stay out of her way, but Faye thinks they'll just have to be friendly around each other for Miley's sake. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that one this week. Oof. <sighs> This is what happens. This is what happens when people accept Craig's proposal of marriage. How are they going to get from here to the end point where she moves to Slough? 
That's what I want to know. Because once again, they've taken a relatively young man who's new to the street and made him evil. This is Jackson or Craig? Jackson. Okay. Because... Well, he was temporarily evil. He was okay. He was fine. And then... And then he's getting drunk and and hitting on older women and pushing oh, yeah. Craig. I forgot that. And pushing Craig. I just don't know how he went from week one saying when I need to think of Miley all times. She's, right. She's uh, number one most important thing. She isn't as as outgoing as everyone seems to think. I've got to think about her feelings and her emotions from going from that to going to I'm going to tell Miley that we're all moving to slow. But it's like. What happened in between those two things? Yeah, and for him to be, you know, fairly decent and upstanding and, and, and giving Faye her space as as much as he's able mm. to, to, I'm going to assault someone because, and, and force you to pick me. But... Now, Tinker is under the impression that there's nothing going on and he's secure in that now. So that's it set up for something to start happening. Right. Because they're kind of going, well, we'll just have to just have to learn to deal with this. Right. Because for Miley and everything. And anyway, you're moving to Slough. Right. So we don't have to, to deal with this for very much longer. And again, complete 360 right. here. 360, 180 for... Faye to not want to have anything to do with Miley to, well, you can't move to Slough and take her away from me. Right. <sighs> Moving on. Moving on. Educating Eliza. On Monday, Eliza bumps into Sam and Hope coming off the bus and she's super excited about going to where they hide. Sam invites Eliza to join them at Hope's place and Hope reluctantly agrees, then tells Eliza that her dad was a massive serial killer. And Eliza doesn't take this opportunity to bond with Hope over homicidal parents. Right, yeah, yeah. This this would have been the perfect time for Eliza to say, yeah, well, my mom's in prison for murdering someone. Yeah, yeah and, this and is, she got away with it for the longest time. Right, and, and got her dad done in for, for the murder instead. But there is a... Boyfriend, girlfriend thing here because Hope does say to Sam, shouldn't you be checking with your girlfriend first? Hmm? 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 Tyrone's Hope is singing karaoke and orders Eliza to give Hope an award for her singing. (laughs) Seemingly, Hope has sung eight songs back to back and is put out when Sam and Eliza start playing chess. Later, Hope interrupts the game with chat about a guy at school called Jordan Biscuits and then she blows Sam's mind by telling him the right way to eat a chocolate digestive. And Eliza is not happy about this. Hope runs to answer the door when Homeless Stew turns up to collect Eliza. Eliza thanks Fizz and Tyrone for the hospitality. What a well-mannered little girl. While Hope runs up the stairs, fuming that now everyone expects her and Eliza to be friends. On Wednesday... Where's Ruby? (coughs) Ruby would be friends with Eliza and then Ruby would have someone to talk to because Ruby has no one to talk to. Just Hope. And Hope would rather be with Sam. Hope doesn't like her. On Wednesday, Yasmin pranks Homeless Stew with a fake egg. The winter nights must just fly by. <laughs> then he gets a text from Way the High to let Eliza know that she can start pretty much immediately. Thank fuck for that, says Eliza. Yasmin wants to throw her an early birthday party to celebrate. No expense spared, says Homeless Stew, already throwing his money about. Yes. Later, Homeless Stew bumps into Tyrone and he asks him to ask Hope to invite some of her friends along to the party because Eliza doesn't really know anybody. Mm-hmm. 
like all the people at her old school. She doesn't know any of them. And also Lily, who she had a conversation with when Lily showed her one of Max's videos and they sat giggling about it. That's right. And then Homeless Stu had to point out to Shona and David that he, their son was making racist videos and then sharing them with his little sister who was then sharing them with Eliza. And also Miley, who's also new to the street, but is there. They've moved. They've just moved back from wherever they were before. Nope. Eliza just knows hope. <laughs> and Sam. <laughs> the kids are in Nina's roles. Hope thinks Eliza should get a stretch level for her birthday party. A stretch Hummer, in fact. Sam doesn't see the appeal of driving slowly around Salford in a very long car. I he thought calls that was it his, his form of hell. <laughs> <laughs> hope though, so good hope though insists that's what all the cool kids are doing and it'll help her mum know that she's in a that she's having a party in a very long car with all her mates the party isn't really for you Eliza it's really for your mum says Hope yes. and this convinces Eliza so Eliza goes home and asks Homeless Stu for a stretch hummer for her birthday party Homeless Stu doesn't know what that is so agrees and offers to spoil it by coming along with his guitar Hope thinks this is going to be a great way to make Eliza popular as long as she follows Hope's instructions. This is going to end up breaking Homeless Stew and putting them back on the streets. And that's as far as we get with that this week. Yes. And then Hope suggests manicures for everyone. And and Eliza says, well, what about Sam? And Hope says, don't don't be so gender specific. You know, men can get can get manicures too. Sam does not want a manicure. Sam does not want a manicure. Or to spend any time in a very long car. No. He suggests that they play chess. <laughs> you can have in chess. The Hummer. You can have chess parties. Yes. Who was looking for a love triangle story between three people under the age of thirteen? Not me. <laughs> no not me not either. Me. But it seems this is not kind of funny, doesn't it? Nickelodeon or the Disney Channel. I don't know. Eliza seemingly has eyes for Sam. Well, of course. And Hope. Sam's does, adorable. Does not care for Eliza. No. And Sam seems to like them both because his idea of going out with somebody means that she's my best friend, and Eliza's my friend, and he doesn't seem to know that there's a problem with that from from both their perspectives. Yeah. Eliza needs to hang out with Ruby more, and Lily and Miley. Well, let's not go through that list again. Uh, I just hate it when the show forgets things on purpose and then expects us to forget them. Um, no, to our credit, most of the time we do. Well, you do. I, I don't think that's entirely accurate. <laughs> I, no, I, I'm, I'm kind of I'm enjoying the, the three of them. Do you know, yeah. it's any excuse to get a little bit of Sam on the screen. Well, okay, that that's fair. I do like Eliza as well. Yeah, that, that, I think all three of them are, are pretty good. Hope is clearly going to kill somebody, but right. But until that happens, yeah, Eliza's kind of fitting quite nicely. She's like a foot taller than everyone else. Homeless Stu has no idea how to raise a girl, though, no, or any child no. really. Yasmin does though, so Yasmin needs to because it was. Because wasn't it Yasmin who says, well, as long as this is what you want. And not what you're... Not what... Not what Hope wants, basically. Yeah. (sighs) Well, wait a minute, Yasmin. Wasn't this whole birthday party thing your idea? Right. Okay. 
let's move on to uh, just a few scenes from Monday in Daisy de Bergerac. <laughs> on Monday, all right, Bob Ags says... Daisy? Carla. Oh, Remember, yeah. it's Carla that says all right, Bob Ags. <laughs> okay. She wants to go out for a bite with Ryan, but he'd prefer to stay in, watch TV and eat crisps. And you know, that sounds like a good night in. Suit yourself, she says, and she leaves him to it. And he is immediately on the phone texting Crystal, who is really Daisy, asking why she hasn't responded. Carla comes into the pub and she tells Daisy that Ryan is shutting himself away again and is still in pain. So Daisy starts replying to Ryan as Crystal again. And this immediately cheers Ryan up. When Carla gets home, they're still texting and Carla's very impressed that this Crystal character has been about the only person able to put a smile on Ryan's face today. And that's all that happens there. Yeah. This is just reminding us that this is still going on. Right. And the longer that this goes on... The more terrible it's going to be when Ryan finds out the truth. The more creepy it is. It is creepy. And the more damage it's doing. And it's especially creepy when you remember that Daisy has already sexually assaulted Ryan once. Yeah. And I was kind of emotionally assaulting him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but the two of them are going to get together. I think that's completely on the cards now. I can't see how that would not happen now. Because I think the show... Which, again, it's creepy because she sexually assaulted him. The show wants us to forget all that. Yeah, we're, we the refuse. Show, the show thinks that it's dealt with it by getting Ryan to say... You know, when Alia... When, Daisy said, oh, there was a shame what happened between you and Alia. And Ryan says, well, you happened. Yeah. And that that's the only light that's been shone on that since it happened, really. And and that is it labelled dealt with. Yeah. But it's nowhere no. near dealt with. Not at all. Let's move on to, is this our penultimate story? No, it isn't. Let's move on to our penultimate, penultimate storyline. Georgie's Hobby. <laughs> on Wednesday, Eileen is like a half-shut knife because George was tossing and turning and turning all night. He's been worrying about his business lately because people can't afford fancy funerals, so they're going to these other this other crowd, the cheaper ones. Uh, Eileen suggests that they go on a cruise to relax. Oh no, you've already given all your money to Glenda. In a huff, George stomps off, and well done for you, George, because Eileen's just better. Yeah. Just kind of nasty about all this. So Eileen catches up with him later in Nina's roles and suggests that he really does need a way to relax and switch off and suggests that he finds a hobby. In the pub, George is talking with Todd about hobbies when Billy comes in and suggests model making as one of his parishioners is making the golden hind. First he mentioned <clears throat> salsa and 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 George says, oh no. It just it, goes it right just, through me. Right. <laughs> of, because of course he... Whose sister is the one doing the salsa lessons. Doesn't know. Doesn't know what salsa is. Absolutely. Model making strikes a chord with George and he rushes off to the model shop before it shuts. It comes back to the house later with a mahoosif box. So big. This is the real deal, which Eileen complains about. This is going to take years, she says, but George is like a wee boy on Christmas morning with Todd as a goose. On Friday, at Eileen's George seems to have taken the day off to build his stupid ship and is leaving Todd to deal with Weatherfield's dead. Eileen, <laughs> Eileen seems taken aback by the number of pieces and instructions that have come with it, and she's still put off by the size of George's massive ship. But not like that. Later, Eileen comes home to see how George is getting on, and he's only gone and glued his fingers together. I know, oh, so cute. Oh, we've got a super glued thing here. Remem- Some, somebody's glued something to something again on Coronation Street. 
Remember when Emma had her hand stuck in a vase for two episodes? Oh, two episodes. Two episodes. I was really disappointed that George's fingers get unglued so quickly. Immediately, right? Because Eileen lubes them up. But and, not like that. And he's soon ready to go. Eileen like doesn't that. know how much she's looking forward to having George's massive ship in the living room. But not like that. But George is happy, so she's sort of happy. After a day, George is two pages done out of 60 through the instruction manual. Todd thinks that he should build it in his own big massive house. But George is far enough in now to consider it too fragile for transport. And he starts making a spot on the sideboard for it to live in a big glass case when it's done. So Eileen has to make an Eileen face. Yes. And that's as far as we get with that this week. <sighs> At least this they're is, still together. This is kind of funny, right? Yeah. George Way's ship. Because I don't think this ship is going to get complete. I think it's going to get broken probably shortly before it's complete. By Eileen. But he's taken a day off work. Right. Well, they've, they've told him. They've like, you need to relax. You need to take some time off of work. Todd's like, no, I will handle this lady who wants to take the handles off of one coffin and put them on a different coffin. Or something. Hmm. And he seems to be, he seems to do well. There's no like, oh no, Mrs. So-and-so died right in the middle of our consultation. Nah, Todd's absolutely fine at this now. He's been doing it for long enough. Yes. And yeah. he's also a smooth uh, talker. Right. And I'm, I'm quite enjoying this. Yeah. This for a little change of, if for no other reason, it seems to annoy Eileen. Right. It's also kind of funny because the show seems to want us to forget that Sean and Mary also live there. But credit to the show for remembering that George lives in a big house that he never goes to. Right. And he doesn't technically live in. Right. He just owns. Yeah, that's massive house just sitting empty. Right. I mean, the council tax alone on that must be huge. And then the, you've got to heat it. Just because right. nobody's living in it, you still need to heat it. Yeah. Where Where is he? Why isn't he housing refugees there the way Daniel is with his big massive house? That's a good question. Helen. Forced to live with Tracy instead. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's not enough room in your big massive house, Daniel, for you and the refugees. People with big massive houses living in teeny tiny toti ones yep. instead. Just for comedy. Yeah. I guess. Just so they don't have to like constantly be renting out that house and furnishing it and filming in it it's a lovely or house. building a new or building a set inside because we've never even been inside that house no the closest we've just we've been around the outside and seen sean in the shed i wonder if he's still there <laughs> let's move on then to our penultimate storyline damon bad omens 2 on friday on their way to work sarah wants to get her hole at lunchtime while non-americans will be looking to make a huge nipper snapper deal in another storyline she really is indispensable at work. Back in the rolls, Sarah's getting her lunch ahead of getting her hole when Damon comes in to remind us that it wasn't so long ago that it was the two of them getting their hole with each other. Uh-huh. But then Damon gets a call from another storyline and has to rush off. Sarah, who doesn't work at the law office, arrives at the law office looking for her hole and she's happy to chat about this in front of Dee Dee and Alia and they're happy just to sit and listen to it. Adam is busy with Damon's late license. Sarah makes it clear that she's unhappy that he's choosing Damon's late license over her vagina, and he's now suspicious that she's unhappy about this specific thing. She says that he deserves a break and to work on more exciting cases. Adam thinks now the tables have turned as far as being busy is concerned, but he agrees to go home to Shagger with Dee Dee and Alia's best wishes. 
Later, Damon. Enjoy your haul. <laughs> Later, Damon comes in and speaks to Dee Dee about the licensing agreement. He was expecting to see Adam and tells her to tell Sarah to rest assured that he won't be telling tales out of school. But Dee Dee just wants to get on with the, the meeting. Right. And then he flirts with Alia, who says, no, thank you. Right. Dee Dee and Alia walk Damon through the licensing agreement, which will allow the residents to have their say before this is agreed upon. Adam and Sarah come back and as Adam has left his phone and announces that he'll be working from home for the afternoon as Dee Dee looks uncomfortable at the looks that Damon and Sarah share with each other. And that's all that happens in that storyline this week. Adam seems to forget that he's the one who wanted another baby to begin with. He did, but when he was wanting to meet up with her for that, she was claiming to be too busy at, at work. work. Now she wants it and he's claiming to be too busy at work. He seems a little too obsessed with Damon. Can we can we talk about that? Well, we keep on forgetting that the, the that the law firm was going through difficult times now that Imran's dead. Right. Yeah, but still, is this the best client you have that you want to like take care of every single little thing about him? A rich client. A rich seedy client. Mm, I think rich is all all the adjectives that are needed for Ad, for Adam. Mm. Just like a Scotsman. Absolutely. Do you know, it's Americans that are to blame for the um, the stereotype of Scotsman being miserly. I always thought it was English, but apparently not. It's the, the Americans that, that really? dreamt that up. Yeah. I thought it was just a joke you told. No. No, it's a thing. This is a stereotype. This is a stereotypical thing of Scots being miserly. I never heard it until you came and, and you made jokes about yourself being miserly. Yeah. Note for the listeners, it wasn't a joke. <laughs> I was being kind. I don't know that we've got... You remember we were kind of thinking that we'd had enough ingredients here for a who's the daddy storyline. Right. It kind of feels like enough time has passed that that's not going to happen. Or well, it's not going to happen yet. There's going to have to be more. Right. Because let's remember that empty condom wrapper. Yeah. I think we're going to have to have more encounters or another one at least with uh, Sarah and Damon. Mm. They do, there's still something there. Although she's protesting quite vehemently about it. Yeah, well, and everyone think- else is telling Damon that, that Sarah's happily married, but Damon right. doesn't seem to be me thinks, that for an answer. Me thinks the lady does protest too uh, much. Me, me thinks that too. Oh, well, let's go on to our final storyline tonight, which is Tim's mum about the house. On Wednesday, Jenny and Tim's mum both bump into Steve and he's dropping off Audrey on the street and listen to his mum <laughs> argue with him about using her car. When are you going to get your own car? asks Jenny. When are you going to mind your own fucking business? snaps Tim's mum. I know. What, what the, the hell? What the hell is that about? What the hell, lady? She just asked oh, a question. Oh, oh. I don't think Stephen needs you to defend himself and his honour. And and his car's honour. What business is this of yours? What, just polite conversation, Tim's mum? Right, yeah. And oh nobody, my God. Nobody calls her on it. Jenny looks absolutely affronted. Jenny doesn't know where to look. Right, but doesn't say anything and nobody else says anything. But then Stephen takes Jenny's side and says that he's looking into it. And that makes 
Tim's mum look upset, and that makes Jenny laugh. Yes. Later in Neil's roles, Stephen meets up with a huffy Tim's mum. She's in the mood about him taking Jenny's side. Stephen insists Tim's mum is still his favourite girl, and then he's distracted by a very important call. Mm. In the factory, Stephen announces that the non-American Americans will be visiting tomorrow, so he wants the first order completed in time for them arriving to ensure this deal will be a success. So get to work. So, women. So, Sean, he shouts. And just at that, the lights go out. (laughs) And And it's not even Georgia. It's a fuse box that's tripped. Sally has an idea, but no one's listened to her. And Stephen has to dingy a call from from Tim's mum as Michael goes off to check the fuse box, but then the generator kicks in, which is what Sally came in to tell them all. So back to work. It's like, what was the point of that? Right, and then then he's like, well, why didn't you tell me in the first place? And it's like, well, she tried to, and you were belittling her, because that's what you do. I thought that this, uh, the light's gone out, was going to crop up again at some point, and it doesn't. Well, maybe it will later. Who knows? In the pub later, Jenny is teasing Stephen about driving his mum's car and flirting with him a bit. He takes a seat with Michael, who reminds him that he's supposed to be going to see Tim's mum. Bitch can wait, says Stephen. <gasps> so he's late when he shows up to a ruined meal at number four. So she uses this drama to insist that they announce their engagement. Stephen insists that he can't wait to tell everyone, but says that they can talk about it more tomorrow. Right. And then he goes off back to work. Right. On Friday... It's Happy New Car Day for Stephen. He's leased a BMW that reflects his status. He's dealing with big league clients now that those non-American Americans will be dropping in later oh. to discuss their deal. It's a station wagon though, so... It's a BMW X1, I think. Does it's a, a one series, I think, or a two series. Does a single man in slightly over middle age really need a station wagon? The badge and the kidney grill, that's all he cares about. It's a station wagon. Happy new car day for... Oh, I've just said that. Yeah. Tim's mum is all excited to hear from her solicitor that the sale of the Red Bank apartment is almost complete, or the purchase of it. Tim is not excited to hear this, but Sally wants to go out to celebrate because she doesn't really care one way or the other. Tim's mum knows Tim thinks she's rushing things and she insists that they're serious about each other, her and Stephen, that's. So the non-American Americans arrive at the factory... And they have business to conduct at the factory, so it's absolutely fine mm-hmm. that they're there, Helen. Yes. They all schmooze with Sally introducing herself as head machinist. As she's blabbering on, Stephen rudely goes through the factory mail and finds an envelope addressed to him personally. He tells he tells Michael to take the non-American Americans to the office, and when he looks at the note inside the envelope, the message makes him shit his breeks. Yes. I know what you did last summer, it says. To Rufus. I know what you did to Rufus a couple of weeks ago, it says. And also, P.S., Mr. Osborne is a fanny. (laughs) In the office, Stephen can barely concentrate on the meeting as a fisherman with a hook is standing next to Kirk in the packing department. (laughs) They eventually agree on improved terms with a bigger order and then head off to the pub to celebrate. Then the pub, the non-American that's called Owen, I think, has given Jenny some of his chat, making it quite clear that he would like to hit that. Thank you very much. And Jenny... Does not object. Well, he asks Jenny for her number, and Jenny seems to look at Stephen before she agrees to uh, go down this road. And he's too busy downing his pint in three goes to pay right. any attention to her. Stephen heads to the bar, and Billy tries to be a pastor to him, but Stephen tells him to fuck off, and quite rightly too. <laughs> Back home, Tim has made Tim's mum a cuppa to say sorry. 
He sees, though, that the apartment is going to be in her name only, which he approves of, Mm -hmm. and asks if Stephen has paid her back yet. What is mine is his, says Tim's mum. Don't be daft, says Tim. It sounds like you're about to get married. Gulp, says Tim's mum. On their way back to the factory from the pub, the two youths who didn't sell Stephen LSD and who both got beaten up by him are hanging around and shouting him. He sends non-American Americans and uh, Michael ahead. It turns out the youths were the one who sent the letter. They're both avid readers of the Weatherfield Gazette. Yeah, they both appear to be much smarter than they appear. And saw articles about Stephen's deal with Rufus, and Rufus now being dead with LSD in his system, and how Stephen tried to buy LSD from them. Mm-hmm. They reckon Stephen killed Rufus, and they want ten grand, or they're going to the cops, see? Stephen plays it cool, tells them that they can't prove anything, calls them more on one and more on two, and tells them both to fuck off. So they head off in the direction of the police station, so Stephen panics and asks for an hour to get the money together, and they arrange to meet at the precinct later. Meanwhile, back at home, Tim's mum comes clean about getting married to Stephen. Tim is furious, saying that they barely know each other. Tim's mum says that she's happy for the first time. Sally walks in to hear this and offers her congratulations, saying that Tim's mum was old enough to make her own decisions. Tim, Quite right, Sally. Tim doesn't think Tim's mum has a good track record in picking men, though. He's got a point. He does. Tim's mum says everyone was taken in by Tim's dad, even Tim. And Sally thinks Tim needs time. So later, Stephen drives to the precinct in his lease car and picks up the hoodlums, telling them that he doesn't want to conduct business with them in public. They all get into the car and drive off. He's got a GB sticker on the back, which will make him a bigger target if he drives in Europe. Stephen looks like he has killing in mind. Mm. But instead, he drives them to the police station and tells them to go ahead and tell the cops their theory. But when uh, he's let out, Stephen will track the pair of them down and kill them. Terrified of this old, old Canadian man, the hoodlums jump out of the car and scarper. Yeah, ridiculous. So Stephen goes round to Sally's at Tim's mum's behest, hears that Tim's mum has spilled the beans about the wedding and that Tim is unhappy about this. Once again, Stephen assumes that Tim's objections are based purely on the fact that Tim can't believe that Stephen would find an old hag like Tim's mum attractive. Or why else would Tim object? This is not the only reason. Maybe it's because you're a million years old and dodgy as fuck, but Tim is stunned into silence. Stephen doubles down and accuses Tim of thinking that he, Stephen, has a girl in every port and no one questions him on this. Tim eventually says that he thinks Stephen is too successful to be going for someone as old as Tim's mum. Oh, Tim. (sighs) So in the Rovers, Stephen and Tim's mum are furious with Tim, who Tim's mum doesn't want at the wedding. Stephen suggests that they get married in Vegas and they could go visit the Grand Canyon later. Tim's mum suggests inviting Tim, going to Death Valley and leaving him there. It was quite funny. <laughs> Tim comes in and Tim's mum nips off for a shite, which allows Tim to tell Stephen that he doesn't trust him and will not let them marry while he has a breath in his body. Well, let's hope it doesn't come to that, says Stephen, who looks like he has killing in mind. And that's how we end this week's episodes. He's going he's gonna to kill Tim's mum in Las Vegas, isn't he? He's, he's going to throw her off the Hoover Dam. He's going to push her off the Hoover now Dam. Now that's a volume wall I got to see. <laughs> Uh, maybe we'll finally Just a little Tim's mum doll falling oh. down the side of the Hoover Dam. Maybe <clears> we'll <throat> finally get another one of those special episodes where they where they travel to America oh God, or yeah. or Spain or the, something. The DVD special, right? That the characters just go out the show for a couple of weeks, 
their adventures are captured on DVD, but they're never mentioned in the show. That's what used to happen. Yeah. To make you buy DVDs. It's very clever. Delightful. Yeah. I'm not sure whose lives are in the most danger now. We spoke about this the other week about who was in danger. I think, was this while Rufus was still alive? Oh no, it was Michael. It was Michael we thought might be in danger. Michael might be, but he got bought off by getting a new position. He did. Tim, he's not killing Tim. He couldn't kill Tim. He couldn't, no. I mean, in theory... He, by all rights, he shouldn't have been able to beat up those teenagers or kill Sinkhole Leo. Sinkhole Leo had gravity helping him. Right. But, <clears throat> yeah. I The fact that not only have they made him unbelievably some sort of criminal, accidental criminal mastermind who is a tough guy, see, and can intimidate teenagers who've already worked out... Th- how he killed somebody and have already said that they're going to go to the police. Yeah, drug dealing teenagers, you've got to imagine, can handle themselves. Right, yeah. Or can carry knives or something. And deal with an old man. <laughs> right. That you accent know, is, older. That accent is letting them get away with literally murder. It's not a great accent. <laughs> and all these women thinking that he's sexy. I don't understand that either. You know, and... It's, it's fine for an old man, but he's an old man. He's not fine for an old man. Oh, I think he's perfectly fine for an old man. There are older men on that show that are much Stephen more attractive. and Tim's mum going out together. That's, That's perfectly, perfectly fine. right. Yeah. I don't see I, him with Jenny though. No, I have to say. I, yeah, I was going to say I don't. I I don't understand why Jenny seems attracted to him at all because. Jenny could pull higher. She's just coming off the young guy, Bobby. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. To put it delicately. Yes. I'm, I'd still love it. I think they're, they're really going, they're camping it up. I think it's, <clears throat> I think the whole, I know what you did last summer aspect of it. I wish they'd dragged it out for a little right. bit longer. No, though. me too. I could have loved with that and for another also, couple of episodes. And also, I wish one of those drug dealing teenagers had pulled a knife. Of, and said, no, we're driving where we want to drive to do this deal. Or, or they're sitting behind them. Right. <laughs> it's like they're, they're in How, yeah. complete positions of power in that car. Right, yeah. Stick a knife in his back and say, you're driving this way. We're going to go here, and then you're going to give us the money. Also, two streetwise drug-dealing teenagers are not getting in the backseat of somebody's car. Oh, and the look on their faces as they went in, because they apparently were thinking this was payday. Uh-huh. Mm, I'm not think I'm with you. that They're not getting in that, that car, and there are plenty of little secret dark corners in that right. precinct for them to conduct their business, because right. that's where they conduct their business. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I don't know. I, they're, they're, they're pushing... They're pushing the limits of believable oh, deniability. No, 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 no. We've we've left them behind quite some time ago. Right. But what gets and you don't me mind here, that. Oh no, I'm I'm I absolutely do. fine with this. I'm enjoying this immensely. I, I hate it. But the bit that gets me is this is I think the second time that Stephen has accused Tim of objecting to the relationship because his mother is so ugly. 
<laughs> and he's standing in Tim's living room having this argument with him, accusing right. Tim of thinking so badly of his mother because that's the only explanation why Tim would object to this. Yeah. And nobody pulls it off on it. And I guess, I guess for this to work for my for my benefit of the ridiculousness of it it has to be like that but it's just it's just so infuriating yes <clears throat> oh. so he's not going to kill tim do you honestly think that tim's mum's life's in danger well see we've talked about this but has it changed how, after this week's episodes about how if he, if he if he crosses a line and kills a woman it no longer become. It's no longer camp. It's no, no longer it's funny. funny. No. No offense to Sinkholio and his dad. Not even. Uh, not even Tim's mum, who a little bit annoying this week, but and frankly, just plain rude talking to Jenny. Right, and also, and we've talked about this before. Should be far more cautious than she's been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Stephen does have a taste for blood now. It's clear. Mm-hmm. Yes, he's he's doing it for enjoyment as much as anything else. I think at this yeah. point that the Rufus one was the one that kind of broke him a bit because that was the one, the that first one that was re- absolutely premeditated. And premeditated. Yeah. So now that he's crossed that line, it's like seriously, he he could be killing half the street here and not think twice about it. Right, including his own mother. And yeah. then he'll steal her car. I'm I'm still desperately waiting for someone to find that that car hood thing. Oh, the boot. Yeah, I, I don't know if I don't know if that's even a consideration at this point. That canal is shallow. Too shallow for people not to notice that thing. Well, I think that was the week that was Coronation Street. Was it? Yes, it was. Mm. Tell me, Helen, what was your moment of the week? Paul breaking down in Dee Dee's car. Was that your favourite moment from the Paul storyline? What was your favourite moment from the Paul storyline? I think it was his can't catch a break bit. Well, that's kind of the same bit, isn't it? That because later, he says that, that and the, then he breaks down. That was back at the flat. I thought they were still in the car when that happened. No, he just cried in the car and, um, and Dee Dee said she was sorry. And then they went home and then they, they talked about it a bit more. And it was when they went home and talked about it a bit more that really got me. Yeah, I think his tears are more effective because he has said this whole can't catch a break thing before. Mm. You know, whereas just the raw emotion of just, sh- you know, shouting at the car being too close to this other car and there ought to be a law and stuff. And then just getting in the car and just letting it go mm-hmm. to me was just because... Paul expresses his emotions through anger mostly. Yeah, that's and he how he that, expresses. He yep. Right. We don't see genuine sorrow from Paul very often. No, I don't think we do. Even with the whole Cal stuff, I right? Think he kind of kept an he, awful he lot of that bottled up. He dealt with it in anger. Yeah. Yep. He dealt with it by lashing out. No, fair enough. Well, is that Paul receiving these devastating news? Is that our, or Paul's reaction to it? Or just yeah, Paul breaking down. Breaking down in the car. That is our moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. Oh, God. There was no Daniel or Chesney. No, there was Craig. Or Ken. Though. There was Craig, though. But it was Craig last week. 
was it Craig last week? There's Craig talking about being a policeman last oh, week. Oh, that's that was right. Oh, week. my God. This week he was trying to plan a wedding, though. Right. Yeah. No. Craig tr- Craig picking out Faye's wedding dress. That's Craig two for two. That's her. Boy, oh, He's oh, the new Daniel, <laughs> who was the new Chesney. We have our favourites. <laughs> And this is all done with love. It is. Mostly. Kinda. <laughs> if you've ever tried to plan a wedding for a woman, write them to let us know how that went. We're the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. You can shout me and Helen a coffee by heading to kofi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vogel.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. Our talk of the street. The talk of the street. Bye. Cheerio.